It's Kurt. Yeah, All right, I'm ready. We are ready. So let me patch ourselves in. Okay. I'm hoping that uh, we can we're keep back. the speakers. In okay, guys. Uh, recording starts now. So welcome everyone. Uh, this is the Ontolog Forum. Uh, the date is June 30th, year 2005, and we have a scheduled technical discussion session today. The topic for today is interoperability concerns in the growth of surface sciences, uh, ontological implications of surface-oriented architecture. And we are honored to have this session moderated by Professor William E. McCarthy from the Michigan State University. Uh, Bill actually proposed this topic and has been kind enough to coordinate uh, the setting up of, of the entire event. Uh, so, all yours, Bill. And do we want to do the introductions? Is that correct? Or yes, no? yes, please. Okay. Um, and should I just call out the names uh, according to the wiki page? Is that probably right. the best yeah, way to that, do it? That would be a good idea, yeah. Okay, instead of having just a free-for-all? Okay. Um, well, uh, I'm going to start at the top of the wiki page, and that's me. So uh, I'm Bill McCarthy. I'm Professor of Accounting and Information Systems at Michigan State University. And the next person on the list is Rex Brooks. Hi, I'm Rex Brooks. I'm President and CEO of Starboard Communications Design, and I'm also co-chair of the Human Markup Technical Committee in Oasis, and I'm a member of the uh, several other technical committees, including the SOA uh, reference model. Good. Wow. We really have experts here. Uh, Pat Heining. Uh, I'm sorry if I blow the names, but no, you'll I'm give me the correct. That's correct, Pat Heining. I'm um, a senior enterprise architect at the Environmental Protection Agency working with John Sullivan. Um, our architecture will heavily involve uh, service-pointed architectures. Of course, as part of the Federal Enterprise Architecture, um, that's one of their uh, thrusts with the uh, service component reference model. So I'm really trying to get a little bit smarter on the implications of SOA because it's going to be part of our target architecture. Great. All right, Peter Yim. Okay, uh, Peter Yim here. I'm uh, one of the co-conveners of the Ontolog Forum along with Kurt Conrad and Leo Oberst. And uh, uh, for my living, I, I actually am president and CEO of CIM Engineering, uh, doing business as CIM3, uh, providing uh, hosted infrastructure for communities of practice and distributed project teams. All right, uh, James Duma. Yeah, uh, James Duma, um, system architect at uh, eBusiness Applications. Uh, we're a software developer uh, in uh, British Columbia, Canada. All right, uh, Steve Ray. Uh, yes, I'm uh, Steve Wright, Chief of the Manufacturing Systems Integration Division here at NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. We work in uh, interoperability standards and particularly semantic standards, uh, which are of great interest to us. All right. Conrad Bach? Hi, um, I'm Conrad Bach. I uh, work in Steve's division. I, uh, I work on process ontologies. All right, and one of our panelists today, Michael Gruninger. Hi, I'm uh, Michael Gruninger. Uh, I work with uh, Steve and Conrad and Al at NIST. Um, my primary research is in the design of uh, ontologies using first-order logic, uh, particularly the process specification language, uh, which has most recently been uh, applied uh, 
uh, as a, a semantic foundation for uh, semantic web services uh, framework. All right, thank you, Michael. Uh, Al Jones. Uh, Al Jones, I'm a group manager here in the Manufacturing Systems Integration Division. Uh, Steve Ray is the division chief. I'm managing uh, some projects under the Manufacturing Interoperability Program and have initiated the effort several years ago to begin looking at automating systems integration processes. Okay, thank you, Al. Uh, Paul Koch. I'm Paul Cook with uh, Kebra Company, and uh, we build ontologies in the in the health sciences. All right, that's Paul Cook, not Coke, as I said. I'm sorry. Uh, Evan Wallace. Hi, this is Evan Wallace. Evan Wallace, um, excuse me. Evan. Also from NIST, uh, and working for Al in um, in Steve's division. Um, and I'm involved in standards activities for ontologies, both at the W3C and at the Object Management Group, um, principally uh, OWL. Okay, thank you, Evan. Uh, Bob Smith? I'm Bob Smith, Professor Emeritus, Cal State University. I'm also <coughs> project coordinator for the Health Ontology Group. I'm especially interested in the applications of ontology in ontology management to healthcare, particularly emergency healthcare and the interoperability requirements. Uh, okay. There's a lot of value in this uh, service-oriented architecture. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Richard Manning? Yes, I'm Richard Manning. I'm a senior enterprise architect with Sun Microsystems and the Global Enterprise Web Services Group. Okay, thank you. Anders Tell from Sweden. Yes, hi, Anders Tell from Sweden. I work also as a senior enterprise architect uh, with also special interest in business collaborations with a legal twist. Um, I also represent uh, normally uh, UNC FACT, where I'm in charge of uh, organizing CFACT's uh, architecture process. So this is a very interesting uh, workshop to be uh, part of for the future. We plan to uh, restart of the architecture work in uh, September uh, this year. All right. Is, do you want to, no, never mind, we'll talk about putting out a call later on, Anders. Uh, Kurt Conrad. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm an independent consultant in California, specialized in the area of information policy and governance. Um, one quick logistical note, uh, muting is good, but be aware that the mute on the conferencing system will broadcast a beep every time you come in and out. So if you've got one on your phone, that might be preferable. Okay. Monica. Hello. Monica Martin, uh, Sun Microsystems, uh, Java Web Services, Web Technologies, and Science in the business process area. All right. And here is another one of our panelists for today, Dwayne Nichol. Hi. Um, I guess I'll follow the uh, process and be as humble as most of you guys have been because uh, you've all understated your past experience. Are you guys getting an echo on this? A little bit. Okay, so I've uh, participated in a lot of large SOA uh, projects from EBXML, uh, where I wrote uh, large portions of the technical architecture. I've been working with the W3C, uh, with the Web Services Architecture Group, and went on and worked with Monica and others uh, in the UNCFAC e-business service-oriented architecture. Currently chairing the OASIS Service-Oriented Architecture Reference Model TC and a past chair of the OASIS eBusiness Service-Oriented Architecture TC. And I work okay. for Adobe. All right. Thank you, Dwayne. Uh, e. Michael Maximilian. Hi. Um, I'm a research scientist at uh, Amazon uh, at IBM Amazon. 
I'm in the IBM uh, Ahmadin Services Research Group, and my primary interest is, is in uh, semantic web services, so applying ontologies to discover, integrate, select web services. Okay, thank you, Michael. Uh, Hakan, I'll let you say your last names because I didn't catch it the first time. I'm sorry. This is Hakan um, I also work in uh, IBM Ahmadin Research Center in services research group as a researcher. I'm in the same group as Michael. Okay. Um, Jane Dutra? Uh, Jane Dutra from JPL Senior Information Architect for the Enterprise Architecture Group. I also work at NASA uh, on the NASA Taxonomy. I'm the manager for that product. Okay. Thank you, Jane. Uh, Carl Reed? Yeah, I'm Carl Reed. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for the Open Geospatial Consortium. My members work on issues and develop standards related to interoperability and semantics for the geospatial domain. Wow. That's quite a group we have here today. It's amazing. Uh, George Brown, the third of our speakers today. Uh, yes, I'm George Brown. I'm a uh, program manager within IT Research, which is part of the Information Services and Technology Group, with focus over a number of years on supply chain management application of reference models that's been extended to uh, value chain integration and development of a value uh, chain operations reference model. And I work with our uh, uh, solutions group to uh, develop uh, service-oriented architecture and uh, framework for accelerating implementation and service-oriented architecture. All right. And uh, last on the list right now, and if any additional people came in, they can let us know. I have Doug McDavid. Yes, hi. Uh, Doug McDavid, also from IBM, uh, closely associated with the research group that Michael and Hakan mentioned, which I should mention is actually in the process of trying to define the notion of services science. Um, and I uh, on and off dabble in ontologies myself. Oh, wow. Here's certainly a different perspective. So, uh, now, are there any additional people who want to broadcast their, uh, their, their name to us before we start here? Sure. This is Bob Glushko at Berkeley. Oh, hi, Bob. I'm an adjunct professor in the Immigration School here. I'm a, formerly at Commerce One where I ran XML architecture and standards on, from, in EBXML, UBL sorts of things. I just finished a book with Tim McGrath of UBL on document engineering, which is about semantics for business informatics and web services. And I'm involved in services sciences at Berkeley. Yes, you're the, very good the link, the only link we know to that group as far as we know right now. So you might be called on, Bob. So. Although and you the book is very it. good, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dwayne is on the blurb, is on the cover jacket. Okay, okay. Uh, are there any additional people? David Witten from the Veterans Administration. Okay. Can you tell us about yourself, David? Um, senior computer specialist here. Worked in uh, ontologies and such for quite a while. Gave a presentation about two weeks ago on uh, Vista and uh, its applications to NHIN and um, ontologies. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Do we have any additional folks on? All right. Uh, I'm sorry, say that again, please. Sorry, J.R. Gardner at Sun Microsystems. Okay. Do you want to elaborate a little bit or no? Customer network services uh, using a lot of ontology to analyze risk in uh, service architectures. Okay. All right, if that's the entire group on the phone, um, 
let's uh, sort of establish where we're going to go from here. Uh, it, the next uh, segment of the presentation today is going to rely a lot on the, the, uh, the assembled PowerPoint deck that is either um, available, I'm not exactly sure what the word is, Peter can help me out there, or you can download it locally. I have to download mine locally. Um, and the first couple of slides are very simply an introduction. And then after that, we have our three speakers. And we're going to go in the order of uh, Dwayne, then George, and then Michael. And what I hope to do is to have each of those people talk about 10 minutes on their slides. And we've decided that it probably would be a, a good idea to let the, the speakers go uninterrupted um, and then maybe have a minute or two after their presentation, but not longer than that, where people can ask for quick clarifications because we really want to get it out to the entire crowd of people relatively quick here. So that's sort of the way we'll try to go. I'm going to reel in the speakers when they get to about 12 minutes, which includes their 10 minutes plus two minutes of questions. So, um, and again, uh, I'll remind everybody of something that Peter uh, reminded everybody about. When you speak, um, if it's obvious from the context who you are, you don't have to keep on reminding everybody else. But um, if you don't know who's speaking, and you can just quickly blurb in and ask for name, please, or who's speaking, please. Okay, So we'll go from there. I'm assuming in the next 30 seconds or so that everybody can point at the PowerPoint deck and we'll be on the first slide, which is a header, which has the title, and then the, uh, the four people who are actually involved in the panel, at least initially. It's called Interoperability Concerns in the Growth of Services Sciences, yada, 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 and it is slide number one. OK. All right. So um, I'm, the, uh, I'm the, the head of the panel, and I'm only going to say one quick thing here, and that's uh, to advance to slide number two, which actually has the abstract for what the session was about. As I mentioned in the, uh, the run-up to the session here before we started recording, this came out of a discussion that a number of us had on the forum probably about a month and a half ago about services sciences and services-oriented architectures in general. And um, I might have been the person who mistakenly put those two together, but I thought if we thought of them two together, there would be a lot of ontological implications. Um, the whole idea of, um, of assembling services from different business processes or different sources, both within and without a firm, to assemble a, a sort of composite bundle of goods and services is something that goes back to Michael Porter and all the old value chain ideas. And um, there's sort of an eerie parallel when people talk about service-oriented architectures that support the integration of composite solutions of services from sources both within the firm and then outside of the firm. And outside is primarily XML-based web services. And um, I had been alerted by one of my own uh, UNCFACT uh, compatriots from a number of years ago that the University of California, Berkeley, was actually thinking about starting up a center for services sciences because of the continuing acceleration of services as a percentage of things that were offered vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis services and goods that were offered as goods across the United States economy. So we thought this would be a good way to kind of look at the two of them together and to talk about how um, the Ontolog Forum could serve as, as a place where we could talk about what might be the ontological difficulties in terms of semantic incompatibilities, in terms of different abstraction methods, in terms of lack of reasoning capability. And it's especially nice that we have Mike Gruninger to keep us honest on that today. So um, 
With that, I am actually going to now turn it over to the first of our speakers, who is going to be Dwayne Nickel um, from Adobe, um, heavily associated with UNC Fact, and I know Dwayne quite well from uh, many, many years on EBXML and its, its follow-up. So if you go to, to slide number three now, I'm going to hand it over to Dwayne. Dwayne, are you on? I am. Okay, you it's all yours. Okay? Remember to tell everybody to advance, and remember that you have about 10 minutes, okay? Okay, thanks. So we're going to advance right away to slide number two, uh, or slide number four, sorry. Um, before we talk about SOA, or anyone really talks about SOA, one of the things that strikes me as pretty important is the need to kind of have a common understanding of what SOA might be. And there was a group of us working in various uh, web services groups and looking at this question and trying to figure out what the analysts meant by SOA. And we, we started asking a real pragmatic question. If service-oriented architecture is architecture, as the name implies it is, how do we define it as architecture and why and how is it sufficiently different from other types of architectures like client-server architecture? We wanted to do this in a way where we weren't tied to anything like uh, the web services paradigm, even though we all recognize web services is the most popular implementation of SOA currently. So we decided to start work on something called a reference model for service-oriented architecture. And we've done this under the auspices of Oasis. Uh, some of you on the call, including Rex, are very active in this group. And it, it's good to have uh, fellow uh, PC members on the call. Um, the idea of this is to really look at what is in the core concepts of service-oriented architecture, describe these things in an abstract manner, and be able to capture the abstract relationships between these things. So what is the use of a reference model? Well, it's not actually architecture itself. A reference model is simply a model, and it's used as a template for architecture. Much the same way if we were to build an automobile, we have an implied reference model of things like a wheel, a tire, an axle, a transmission, and a drive shaft. The whole industry in automotive manufacturing knows this reference model implicitly. And when somebody designs a car, they don't have to worry if they design a drive shaft between the axle and the transmission that nobody will supply it because the whole industry is aligned around these logical divisions in the automobile. And really, the reference model is attempting to bring that same sort of clarification to the service-oriented architecture uh, industry or the, the middleware industry, the computer software industry, and the end-user industry for really uh, expressing it to the captive audiences of SOA. If you want to advance to slide five, um, within this, this gray area that is referred to as SOA, there are many things that exist now. If we look on the right-hand side of this slide, you'll see that there's many standards, specifications, and protocols. Uh, the web services, the W3C uh, protocols like SOAP, uh, the specifications like XML, various standards from UNC, FACT, OASIS, and other standards bodies, are all related and a core part of the service-oriented architecture infrastructure. On the left-hand side, you see that there is uh, the end users, and they're really providing input, saying, well, here's what our requirements are. We have a bunch of goals we want to achieve. And these should really guide, in the middle, the architectural work. Now, we have some reference architecture in this space already and some very specific concrete architectures. 
what isn't clear uh, to a lot of people in the industry is how this will evolve over time. And the reference model is really be that logical division of components that helps guide that future architectural work that makes use of the standards and specifications on the right-hand side, takes into account the requirements, motivation, and goals on the left-hand side, and results in architectures that constrain the actual implementation. And it's our hope that through working in this framework or establishing this framework as part of the bigger story of what SLA really is all about, um, the industry will start to align and gain consensus on some of these things. So it's less confusing for the, the people who are just being introduced to it. Uh, more clarity is provided. And much like the OSI step brought clarity to network companies, people will be able to very clearly say, yes, my company makes the thing in this box here, etc. If you will advance, please, to slide number six. Uh, the Oasis SOA RMTC is very immature right now, and we're kicking around some of the core tenets of what SOA might be. And the uh, current uh, state of the art, which is still just an editor's draft, it's not even a committee draft, uh, is really expressed in this concept map. Um, starting with the core uh, concept of services, Services are described by service descriptions. Uh, these also reference the data model. Think of this, it's all abstract. None of this is concrete. Uh, the data model, for instance, is an abstract concept. It would likely turn into an XML schema that constrains the payload on the wire going in or out of a specific web service. Um, services also have to make known to all potential consumers on a fabric their discovery presence and availability. Um, services may also have policies, and policies really have to be uh, acknowledged and agreed to at the time of service invocation, at which time they really get encapsulated into contracts. One of the things that's core to this whole thing working, and you'll see on the left-hand side of the slide, is that the semantics of what all this stuff means, if we're going to do this automated discovery, uh, automated detection of presence and understanding of availability, is that there has to be a very strong alignment with semantic uh, either being inherent in it or being explicit or having some other mechanism really in it so that we really have the understanding of what all the rest of it means. And that's one of the, the core reasons that I'm also involved with the ontology group uh, work in this uh, particular forum, because we really believe that it is a core part of SOA going forward. If you'll advance to the next slide, slide 7, please, I'll just give you a brief rundown on some of the definitions of uh, the things that are in here. Um, the service is really the contract contractually defined behavior. Um, it says use by any component based on the contract. Well, the intended, there's a lot more to this. Uh, we're kind of stretching into the area now of like uh, service provider identity, um, the service context, et cetera, et cetera. Um, these are basically very uh, high-level descriptions of what some of the components are. I'll let you review these at your own uh, leisure. I'm not going to reread them for you live right now. Uh, going to slide number eight, um, these are the, uh, the last of the six basic concepts. And the one that's not really set out here is the idea of semantics. And semantics are really ubiquitous to make this whole concept work. So just to summarize, if we go to uh, slide number nine now, I think I'm still within my, uh, my ten minutes. You are? Um, we do have the concept and you know described. We have a goal to describe all of this within an abstract uh, piece of work as a reference model. 
Um, this is in no way ever meant to be implemented. This is really, you know, to summarize it, to be used as a guide for architects, uh, non-specialists, and others to really understand the core tenets and axioms of SOA. We view that the uh, implications of having a close tie to ontological work and semantic work is probably something that we have to consider very strongly going forward. Uh, the TC homepage is up there right now. Um, just to put a little plug for the TC, we're having our next face-to-face -face meeting in Vancouver this July 19th to 22nd. And we're looking forward to a, uh, a fairly busy uh, three and a half days in Vancouver. Uh, any of you who would like to get involved, in it, please uh, take a visit to it. And at this point, I'm just going to say thank you. Uh, you can reach me at my Adobe Systems email address if you have any further questions about it. I'll now turn it over to George from Intel. Um, okay, well, oh, uh, just hold on one questions? second. We do have a couple of minutes for questions in case people want to ask you. Okay. okay. This is Monica. I don't really have a question. I've tried to download your presentation three times. I can't get it to open. Uh, is this the combined one, Monica? No, it isn't. Oh, you mean the one that's posted for Duane only? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, we'll try to take care of that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt for a good question. Does the combined one download okay? Yes, I'm using it right now. Okay, good. And you didn't have any problems? None Monica, whatsoever. do you have the combined one okay? I'm checking it. I'll let you know if I don't. Thank you very okay. much. Okay. Okay. Um, if there are no questions, um, we'll turn it over then to George Brown from Intel. George? I have a quick question. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. This is, this is Maximilian. One of the things that I see missing in what you mentioned, because there's, there's a few other groups doing similar work trying to abstract, um, you know, service-oriented architecture into a model. But an obvious omission that I saw, and maybe you just didn't put it in the slide, is that you didn't have a process model. And what I mean by this is, for instance, um, what IBM and other people did uh, with uh, as describe web services as people as a process model because you think of integrating a service from an outside company into your own uh, company, you're going to need to understand their model, their process model, and you're going to need to understand yours and see how it fits. So that's an, an important uh, piece. Uh, so I would direct you to people as an example of that. Another piece that's missing is um, and I think that's where semantics may, may help a lot is, is in the non-functional characteristics of services, meaning like quality of service. So there's been Could a lot of communication on that and trying to understand that and trying to come up with, with somewhat you know, domain-specific ontologies for quality. Um, okay. Would be an important um, I, would, I would just take on the first uh, question first about the, the processing model. Now, within, within the concept map, we didn't have anything about this, but we do have the notion of the processing model for a single service, which is really about how a single service would process something. But, and I'm, I'm going to speak for myself right now because I don't think the TC has achieved consensus on this. Um, there are a few of us who do believe that the process model or processing uh, architecture is really a layer that exists over and above SOA. So you would have a layer called SOA, which is really the exposure of the services and talk about the service orientation. Um, a layer above that would actually be the POA layer, I guess, which would be contextually the layer where you can orchestrate or 
direct the sequential or parallel execution of multiple services. And the difference in this is really one of perception. So to the service, there's no difference in perce perception, um, I guess, uh, conceptually from whether it's being invoked as part of a service or as part of a process or whether it's being invoked as a atomic request response model. Now, when you add in things like the WSRX work that just started in the, under the auspices of Oasis, yeah, some of these questions become less clear because there may be a quality of service that uh, somebody may be able to assert on the service that says, because you're part of a process, you must respond to me within X number of seconds. Uh, but still, to the service, it's blind to the fact that other services are being called. Uh, unless you explicitly put some sort of a venting mechanism in between them, which is part of the WS star stack. So we we really believe that these are two separate things. And really, that's what you talk about is really the core tenets of what somebody may define, hopefully, as a reference model later called process-oriented architecture, uh, as a layer above uh, SOA. Uh, sorry, now, could you repeat your second question again? Yeah. Your second uh, Dwayne, I'm going to have to, so can I pop in here? Um, this is Bill. Um, maybe we can, Max Milling, can we bring this up again afterwards and you can ask the second question and maybe if the, if uh, Dwayne's uh, response there didn't uh, satisfy all the things, we can come back to it. Is that okay? Sure. Okay, good. All right, I'm sorry, I just want to keep us on a sort of a schedule here. I, we're going to have plenty of time to get round and round about everybody's questions. <laughs> all right, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to turn it over to George Brown then from Intel. George, you're on. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the combined slides that I receive has me starting on slide three, so I'm just going to refer to my. That's uh, correct. Slide. I'm sorry, we had to re reorient them. So, okay. So, um, yes, I'll. Uh, this is actually slide ten, so you can add seven to every time George says a slide. Okay. Those are seven so of Dwayne. On, on my second slide, I start with a slide that represents a vision that uh, <coughs> that we hold here at uh, Intel. In looking at the overall service-oriented enterprise, as com uh, including not only the uh, service-oriented business and applications within SOA, but also mapping to a service-oriented infrastructure. And so part of the work that we're doing is trying, <coughs> trying to address the issue of defining services and, implement and rapid implementation of service-oriented architecture but also looking at how to define the requirements uh, from a business process perspective within service-oriented architecture and mapping those to the underlying infrastructure or the service-oriented uh, service infrastructure. On the next slide, <coughs> number 12, uh, uh, I want to focus on a, uh, a strategy that we are uh, trying to uh, promote <coughs> and, and uh, validate it's based on what we call integrated process and technology framework. It's a two-tier framework where we use <coughs> excuse me, reference models at the first tier to define the business semantics or the business process and use a conceptual architecture at tier two to map to the capabilities that are required within the service-oriented architecture. At tier one, we use a reference model, uh, which uh, is called VCore, or Value Chain Operations Reference Model, <coughs> which not only includes uh, process uh, templates, but also inputs and outputs and metrics uh, to facilitate driving an agreement on the business process that would be uh, supported uh, to enable collaboration within a federated enterprise. 
And it's within that context that the uh, services can uh, be defined, even though clearly there would be services at a lower level uh, to, you know, to enable service-oriented architecture. And the conceptual architecture is, is called the Federated Enterprise Reference Architecture. On the next slide, uh, which is focused on Tier 1, uh, there is a... This is slide uh, number 13. Go ahead, George. I'm sorry. Yeah, fine. Uh, okay, I'll keep that in mind. So this is slide 13. There is an icon that sort of summarizes all the uh, elements of the um, reference model, vCore, uh, which falls into three macro process areas, uh, planning, uh, manage, and then the execution processes covering the execution processes across the value chain. But we do support different perspectives of, as an example, uh, supply chain management, uh, product development, and uh, customer uh, experience or customer uh, re uh, relationship management. But if you uh, base your process development on the reference model, you can drill down and define use cases uh, and the patterns, the process patterns can be mapped from the process modeling environment to the SOA standards using uh, FARO, the conceptual architecture, and its guidelines and principles. On slide 14, uh, tier 2 is based on the Federated Enterprise Reference Architecture, and the icon there indicates the components that are uh, within that architecture which are the essential components to support collaboration within the Federation. They are uh, essential and necessary for some collaborative process patterns. Some collaborative process patterns only require one or two of the components, depending upon the, uh, you know, the, the type of process, whether it's person-to-person, person-to-system, or system-to-system, system, whether it's centralized control or distributed and asynchronous. But in any case, uh, this mapping facilitates uh, implementation within the service-oriented environment, and it also is the basis for a proposed standard to uh, uh, enable semantic integration at runtime, and that proposed standard is called EBSOA. Uh, EBSOA is uh, in the process of being adopted uh, by OASIS and uh, does, in fact, uh, drive convergence between the existing EBXML standards and web service standards to fill some of the gaps to enable semantic integration. On slide uh, 15, uh, the uh, thorough methodology really focuses on collaborative semantics uh, and does uh, assume a reference model for defining the terminology, but uh, is based on business semantics that can be mapped into EBSOA through a technology semantics defined by uh, EBSOA. Uh, there's an information model within the EBSOA that can translate the uh, description of the process semantics at the right level into a runtime repository to support interaction. On slide 16, it's just a graphic that uh, illustrates that uh, if you include consideration for the FARA information model in a business process meta schema, you can generate the uh, 
protocols defined within EBSOA to support uh, the collaboration process agreement and so forth be supported within the Federation server. Now, those, those semantics are not uh, supported by current process model tools, but we are in the process of working with uh, some of those tool vendors to add the metadata to generate the DBSOA uh, uh, protocol. Uh, let's see, the last slide is a graphic that uh, sort of summarizes a proposal that is in the works to support the development of the ontology to be able to use the information from the uh, process patterns that are defined through the FARA methodology and represented in the EBSOA protocols to define requirements that are um, managed within the service-oriented infrastructure. And of course, that uh, the ontology would, would be, be reasoned about and would have to take into account the uh, historic uh, you know, performance of those collaborative processes. But this is the basis of a proposal uh, as a work group within the OONIDA uh, IMS uh, program uh, to develop an ontology to facilitate mapping of process requirements to the service-oriented infrastructure based upon the uh, collaborative process patterns determined through the uh, FARA methodology. Okay. Well, both of our speakers certainly have uh, done very well here. We have uh, certainly a couple of minutes uh, for some quick questions of George. This is Kathy. I'm sorry, I got in a little bit late. Um, the ontologies you're describing are being developed where? Well, uh, it's a proposal that has been developed through collaboration between us and uh, Arizona State University, and we're trying Who, who is to in Arizona? Oh, uh, Professor Michael Gould okay. is a principal contact. Okay. Okay. And, and, and what is your plan? What, what are you planning to do? What kind of ontology are you developing? It's an ontology to facilitate reasoning of uh, requirements that would be imposed upon the service-oriented infrastructure or the virtual resources based on the uh, collaborative process patterns identified through the FARA analysis. Uh, and the assumption is that the pattern analysis would be on models developed with the common vocabulary or, uh, of the D-Core reference model. Okay, so the services you're talking about are services that the computers will do. They're not necessarily, they're not, you're not talking about services that people do for each other, although of course there's some these are These are business-oriented services defined within the context of uh, business semantics defined via the uh, uh, VCore model. So uh, this, this model, you, you plan to include services that have nothing to do with computers as well? Yeah, they're business-oriented business services. Business services. Okay. Um, is there uh, an existing, uh, well, first of all, uh, as a component of that, will you be defining a, a sub-module of web services? Well, uh, I'm not sure of the distinction. What, what well, well, well web services what, is what computers do. Services generally is what agents do. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Uh, the, the services will be defined in terms of uh, fulfilling the business process or business semantics. 
they're assumed to be services implemented within the service or an architecture. Within the computer, okay. Um, is, is, is there anything, or is there any taxonomy, a preliminary taxonomy of such services that exist to your knowledge? Well, no, no. As a matter of fact, there is work going on to develop a methodology to define the appropriate services, but, okay. but what we are using is the reference model to uh, facilitate the definition of those services. You also have to take into account the information model that's related to the inputs and outputs within the, uh, you know, within the process model, the reference model. Uh, so there's a combination of looking at information uh, domains as well as the processes as defined through the reference model. Okay. Um, this is Bill. I'm going to have to cut this off at one minute here, but I want to make sure I understand the identity of the person who posed the question. Could you give me that again, please? Pat Cassidy. Okay, Pat. Thank you. We'll come make sure we come back to this, Pat. So. Can, can I ask one more question? I mean, okay, I yes. don't expect an answer now, but I mean, it's intriguing. Uh, seeing that uh, this uh, uh, George talking about mapping the business process model to the SOA standard, I probably would love to hear a little bit more detail as to how that mapping is being done ontologically. Okay, uh, can you refer that to? Okay, uh, this is not a one-minute answer, so. Okay. All right. We'll we'll put that one on the parking lot. So okay, but we will come back to it, Peter. Okay, um, I'm going to uh, now go to our third speaker, who is Mike Groninger. Mike, are you on? Uh, yes, yeah, right here. All right. Uh, so we'll begin with uh, slide two. Uh, basically, any ontological approach to uh, service-oriented architecture should really address uh, at least the following uh, two tasks, uh, service discovery and, and service composition. Uh, and by service discovery, you can think of these as being quite elaborate uh, queries in a very rich knowledge representation language. So, for example, I might want to find, you know, find me a, a service that uh, uh, delivers a book to me uh, in which my credit card is charged only after the book leaves the warehouse. Right. So, a more abstract form that query is, you know, find me web services that achieve some state uh, and where the uh, business processes that occur within the service, there's some kind of ordering constraint on them. Uh, so again, in general, it's, a, it's this idea of, of uh, looking for web services uh, that satisfy certain kinds of constraints. Uh, and it may be the case that, that these services don't actually uh, exist before uh, this query is made, and that they might be uh, composed on the fly, so this is where service composition comes into play. Uh, the idea then that uh, you may want to uh, find a service uh, that delivers the book uh, to, a, to a particular person uh, as part of a gift, and uh, you need to be able to compose uh, the services from different uh, vendors, a book vendor and a delivery vendor, uh, and put them together in a consistent way. Uh, and the idea is that we really want to automate these uh, tasks as much as possible. Uh, or at least have uh, kind of semi-automated uh, uh, service composition, for example. Uh, so the next slide. Just number um, 20. Okay. The, uh, so really, I, I, I'm going to be talking about two uh, distinct applications uh, of ontologies to the notion of, of service-oriented service architecture. Uh, the first one that I'll be talking about in this slide 
uh, kind of conceptualizes services as, as business processes. Uh, so in this kind of, of approach uh, to using ontologies for, for services, uh, we typically want to uh, specify the semantics uh, of the process model that underlies the services uh, together with other kind of service-related concepts, things like messages and data flow um, and perhaps um, you know, different kinds of uh, policies, uh, negotiations uh, kinds of ideas. Um, so we want to specify the semantics, but then we, where ontologies usually come in is when we want to, we want to axiomatize the semantics within some logical language like OWL or, or common logic. Um, and we want to do that because then the automated part of the, the service discovery and composition tasks can then be done by using, reasoning with the axioms of the ontology alone. Uh, now, there have been several, uh, um, there are several efforts right now uh, for doing these, uh, for building these ontologies for uh, web services. The first one was really OWLS, the uh, service ontology written in OWL. Um, and although this had a, a quite rich uh, process model uh, and, and addressed some ideas of data flow, it, because it was written in OWL, it was not able to fully capture uh, some of the intended semantics of the concepts uh, within the ontology. Uh, so there were um, uh, uh, different classes of, of uh, processes within the model, uh, such as uh, the unordered activity in, in which uh, any possible ordering of the uh, sub-activities in the service would be a, a kind of a consistent execution. Um, and this was written in, in the English documentation, but of course was not captured within the ontology. And this required then uh, anybody that built a, an implementation that conformed to OWLS kind of use extra logical mechanisms uh, in order to make sure that that application conformed. Uh, so another effort uh, started up um, uh, soon after OWLS was, was released, and then this is the uh, Semantic Web Services Framework, uh, which I've been working with over the past uh, two years. And that's what I'll be talking about uh, for the most part um, um, today. Uh, you could essentially look at, at uh, SWSF as being uh, an extension of the OWLS uh, service ontology, but written using first-order logic. Uh, just for completeness sake, there is also another effort in Europe called WISMO, the Web Service Modeling Ontology led by Dieter Fenzel, um, uh, which is also uh, kind of in this, in this vein of putting together an ontology uh, of web services, but I won't be talking about that today. Uh, the next slide, please. Uh, so this is just an overview of some of the concepts that are in uh, the Semantic Web Service Framework ontology. Uh, again, because this uh, was, uh, it, it, because the ontology is written in first-order logic, one of the early acronyms we used was called FLOWS, the first-order logic ontology for web services. And uh, this is organized in a very modular way. There is what we call FLOWS Core, which provides uh, axioms for services, atomic processes, uh, composition relations, messages, and channels that messages occupy. And the idea is that all of these terms um, are given uh, definitions. And as it turns out within uh, flows, uh, all of these definitions bottom out using TSL, the process specification language, uh, also, also known as ISO 18629. So this takes advantage of this earlier work that was done with TSL, which was uh, it's also a, a first-order logic ontology written in common logic. 
And that serves as a semantic foundation then for all of these other concepts. So the control constraints uh, that you see there, split, sequence, unordered, et cetera, these actually appear to be an OLS. Um, but we're, because we're using PSL, we're able to provide explicit definitions for these terms. Uh, in addition, um, flows include um, <clears throat> a notion of ordering constraints. Uh, so you can provide very loose uh, kinds of constraints and which, which some activity must occur before another, but other than that, anything, anything goes. Um, different kinds of occurrence constraints. So if one activity occurs within a service, that might trigger other activities to occur later. Um, there can be state constraints in which particular activities within a service are triggered whenever a certain state is achieved. Uh, you know, so that if a particular transaction um, uh, would you know, put the uh, account balance less than some amount, then that might also trigger a uh, bank transfer from some other account to make sure there's enough money in there. Uh, as well as uh, a notion of exceptions. So there's a, uh, a way of saying this is the intended behavior of a particular service, and so that uh, if an actual occurrence of the service violates any of these constraints, uh, an exception uh, is flagged. So this work is still uh, 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 quite active. In fact, one of the reasons I rarely make one of the ontolog forums is this is the exact same time as the Semantic Web Services Telecom. Um, so I'm skipping out of that one today. Uh, so then the next slide uh, takes, uh, so earlier I mentioned there are two distinct uh, applications of ontologies for service-oriented architectures. Uh, this last slide looks at the second kind. So rather than looking at services as business processes, this approach looks at services as actually being software applications. Uh, so within the service, so you're kind of wrapping services around the software applications. And by software applications, I mean uh, perhaps even reasoning systems, so things like uh, scheduling um, software, planning software within a company, uh, ERP systems, any of the kinds of, of software applications within an enterprise that actually is doing, say, some kind of reasoning, uh, and which you want to be able to uh, integrate, right? Have have uh, information being passed back and forth. Now, of course, these applications will typically be using different ontologies, and so one of the key challenges in a service-oriented architecture is to support the semantic integration of these ontologies. So along these lines, um, there are certain kind of capabilities that we want the services to be able to uh, support. Uh, we want to be able to advertise uh, and publish the ontologies that these applications are, are, are uh, using. And we also ideally want to be able to automatically generate uh, semantic mapping uh, between the ontologies used by different services. Now in the, in the, in the uh, I guess, most automated form, uh, where you have uh, services that have never have seen each other before this interaction, uh, this problem is, is almost impossible. Um, but there, have, there is some work that we're doing right now in which uh, we use uh, a particular uh, kind of interchange ontology. Uh, we've been using CSL. And we use a, a semantic mapping tool to semi-automatically generate mappings between an application and this interchange ontology. Uh, and then uh, we are able to use routines that, that given these uh, pre-generated mappings uh, between applications and the interchange, can then automatically infer direct mappings uh, between uh, the services that are wrapped around the software applications. And so uh, right now we're just, uh, I'm, I'm working, uh, starting some implementation uh, in which um, this, these process information exchange protocols in our case 
are actually uh, implemented in WSGO and so that the services can communicate uh, the ontological information on that. Thank you. Okay. Any questions for Mike? Yeah, Bill, this is Dwayne. I'd just like to uh, use this opportunity just to clarify two things and then just uh, perhaps uh, kick off another thing. One thing I heard from both of the other presenters is that semantics and ontologies are important and definitely I think all three of us concur with that. The second thing is, is the ability to search for, first of all, advertise or publish um, both the service themselves, the service descriptions and the ontology or semantic uh, information about them is very important. Um, I'd like to, to further that thought, go ask everyone to go back to the combined slide six which would be my slide four, I believe. In the reference, the service-oriented architecture reference model, we had to abstract that rather than specifically say that you know this is something that is done with a register repository, which is kind of the leading implementation. We didn't want to preclude other types of mechanisms that multi-class, like uh, Bluetooth. Uh, so we just took it and abstracted it up about you know making the the. Okay. The discoverability of a service and service description uh, present in the infrastructure. The third and final thing that I just want to talk to, if we can go back to the combined slide five, my slide three, is the relationship between SOA and POA or process models. When we started with the SOA reference model, we figured it would be easy and probably accomplishable in six weeks, and it soon turned out to be a lot more contentious than anyone had previously envisioned, and I think Rex and Monica will both attest to that. Accordingly, one of the thoughts that many of the people in the TC share is that, you know, it is tempting to talk about at the same time the related uh, reference model of a process and model of process-oriented architecture. We've really been focusing for now just on the, the bottom aspects, which are really just the service architecture, service orientation aspects of architecture themselves, and just the, the services and those things that immediately touch them. Um, whether it gets included later or not, it's too early to state. But right now in this slide, you'll see that there's a slide under architectural work that says related models. And due to the enormous uh, tasks of just nailing down what service-oriented architecture is without a processing model or processing layer above it, we've decided to kind of for now stick to a path of the SOA alone and kind of put the processing stuff off into that related model box and deal with it perhaps later, uh, whether it becomes part of the SOA reference model itself or whether it becomes simply a reference model as a layer on top of SOA, much the way SOA as a reference model exists kind of over top of the OSI 7 layer reference model. Those are my thoughts. Okay. Mike, do you want to come back to that? or? Well, I think that can be part of the just general discussion. That's pretty, I think that applies pretty well to everyone. So if you want to move into that, that right. Phase. Okay. Uh, George, do you have any uh, quick, before we move into just a, uh, for everybody? Repeating uh, here, can I, can I make one comment to, okay. to, to Michael? Uh, Michael, first of all, thank you for, for skipping the Semantic Web Services Framework meeting for, uh, to come here. Uh, one thing that's very interesting is we had John Doming from uh, Open University from the UK here at the Ontolog call just last week, and we set up a date, I mean, not the exact date, but at least we set up the month that uh, sometime in October we'll have a discussion session that would actually, uh, uh, we plan to have our as 
uh, SWSM and Wismo people. I mean, oh. John Domain works on Wismo. Oh, great, great. Um, so, so please mark your calendar. We hope you could join us then. I will, I'm definitely going to try to get that other meeting time moved to a, a No, actually, the Ontolog is trying to move this meeting to, to, to help uh, suit uh, Evan Wallace, who has brought that up multiple times, because this conflicts with the uh, Semantic Web Best Practices uh, group, and then Steve Ray's uh, work and and now I learned that uh, we're running into your work. So, <laughs> so we're, we're trying to, to accommodate so then we can get the right players into this call, definitely. Right. It also kind of conflicts with the WSRP technical committee's right. Thursday so, marathon. So, I mean, past the end of this month, I mean, as, as Evan has suggested, uh, he'll first come up with, I mean, when uh, SWBP is going to meet and then we'll, we'll work from there. So, so please voice your your suggestions and recommendations when we come to that. <laughs> Sorry about that, George. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I understood the uh, question to me. No, and I, I was wondering if, um, if after listening to uh, both Dwayne and Michael speak, you had some different thoughts or if you were just happy with things as they were, they were before we opened it up to everybody else. Well, it, it is interesting to me the the overlap. Uh, of course, you know, I, I, there's a slightly different perspective on many aspects. But if we go, if we drill into the details, there there is a lot of uh, overlap or synergy between these, uh, you know, these presentations. Okay. I concur. One of the other things I just wanted to also respond to is um, somebody had mentioned earlier that there is a lot of similar work. When we had started work on the SOA reference model, there was absolutely no work other than the John Cheeseman um, work, which was actually uh, from the CBDI uh, forum, which of course you had to pay to get. Um, there was SOA blueprints and of course IBM's big red book of SOA architectural patterns, which was immensely useful along with BEA's book of service-oriented architecture blueprints. Okay. Um, well, we have at least uh, a couple of people who've asked questions that couldn't be answered within the constraints. I have Maximilian and uh, Pat Cassidy. Um, if either one of them wants to step in now and uh, air their concerns again, um, I'll do Maximilian first and then Pat, and then we'll open it up to everybody else. Is that fair? Maximilian, you're still here? Sure. I actually have some questions also for Michael. Can I can I talk about those? Now? Oh, sure. Just go in any way, any way you want, yeah. Okay. So. Um, what I'm not clear about on your last, I guess, like uh, slide 20 and 21, uh, the combined slide, is that you mentioned that your work, SWSF, is using first order logic. But it seems to me that part of the reason Al F has many or Al has many species is because they're trying to stay within decidable parts of first order logic, like for instance DL. So for instance, um, you know, they try, like Al-F I know, because I'm, in, I'm not involved in the group, but I use it. Um, I know they try to be very careful, you know, to try to stay within DL so that it is decidable. So for instance, and so I'm, I'm just wondering why you chose not to extend, continue an extension of Al-F. And then the second part of my question is that some of the constraints that you say that you could not um, express, I think using things like Swirl, uh, the semantic web um, sort of, um, rule language, 
would probably, and I'm not sure because I'm, I don't have enough detail on that side 21, but it seemed like you could probably try to achieve those with Swirl. And it seems like that's the direction that ALF is taking. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll address your second, the second part of the question first. Uh, because there are uh, several people who, there's a big overlap between uh, uh, and, uh and Swirl. Um, Benjamin Grossoff and Michael Kiefer um, are both kind of overlapping members of both the Swirl work and also the, this uh, Swizzle work. Um, and in fact, uh, the acronym SWSF was a bit of a, a kind of a compromise because there were two main groups. There's the uh, Swizzle group, the Semantic Web Services Language group, and then there was the Ontology group. Uh, and the language group, um, with, there was kind of work on uh, having a rules uh, language uh, uh, kind of similar to Swirl, or if not actually uh, one of the submissions to Swirl. Um, the issue being that Swirl uses, uh, because it's kind of more of a, based on a logic programming paradigm, um, uses some non-monotonic features like negation of failure, um, whereas when we were writing the ontology, we were using classical first-order logic, no negation of failure. Uh, and so uh, th there is some work uh, that was done, though, to um, do a translation uh, between um, uh, the uh, first-order language and the rules language. Uh, so th th there definitely is the work along those lines. Um, and it's still not really clear. I mean, even within the semantic web rules uh, group and within W3C, there's still a lot of debate over whether SWIRL should be more logic programming based with non-monotonic semantics or whether it should be full first order. Uh, but that hasn't been settled there, and it's, it hasn't been settled within this uh, SWIFT project um, either. Uh, we're kind of both pursuing those on, on, on parallel tracks. But really, the, the focus has been on capturing uh, the intended semantics of these terms within some language, um, and then use that to be able to support more automated tasks like uh, um, uh, planning and uh, what's known as temporal projection, making certain predictions as to what will happen when a service occurs. Uh, and so in, in those cases, <coughs> we're really looking at what is the minimum expressiveness that's required to capture that semantics. And really, OWL just is not adequate at all uh, for, for, for doing that kind, for capturing that kind of semantics. Um, although, it's, uh, by, you know, I admit, you know, the perhaps swirl, um, there may be um, some possibility there of, of kind of recasting or reaccentizing the, the ontology using swirl. But, but OWL by itself definitely um, is inadequate. And, it, and when it comes to questions of, of say, tractability, um, <clears throat> the thing is that the, the tasks that we want to be able to support are inherently intractable. Uh, mapping it into a tractable language, uh, say like LDL, doesn't make it uh, tractable. It just means you're not able to express that problem. Um, and so uh, the challenge is, is to really begin to look at these problems and to say, well, in, in real life, uh, although planning or you know, web service composition might be intractable, um, in real life perhaps there are some additional constraints that come up within services that allow us to look for tractable subcases. And that's kind of where the focus is there. Yeah, this is Todd. I, I, I'd like to add a, a point to that, too. Um, and that is that uh, those people who really want to use um, description logics for, for their logical properties 
need not despair about uh, the, the fact that other people are defining things in um, uh, in first order logic, but but can rejoice because uh, if you uh, define, for example, in your our ontology, a person, and say whatever you want to say about person, but there are things that can be said in first order logic that cannot be said within the owl paradigm. You nevertheless can have a higher order ontology, and you can reference that as, as the source for the definitions that are not expressible within owl. Uh, this is one of the things I'd like to explore uh, within the ontology taxonomy coordinating working group. It is that you have, you know, as, as Michael has indicated, a, a uh, some higher level first order or perhaps even higher order logic which expresses the things that you really want to express and then uh, those who want to use simpler expressions can say here's here's what I want to say in my language my owl language or something else and in fact uh, what I mean is exactly the same thing as what those people mean using all those fancy higher order representations so that if at some point somebody using your ontology needs to reference the uh, more detailed logical representations. You know where to go to get the information that's missing. I have a follow-up question for Pat. Yeah. This is Rex Brooks. I happen to be the chair of the Human Markup Technical Committee in OASIS. And when you referred to person, my little antenna went off. So um, my question is, if someone is, and this is actually a real-world problem of rather large proportions, uh, for the for the data reference model in particular, is there a set way to get a namespace for the first order reference you referred to? Um, let's see. I'm, I'm, let me try to interpret the question. Uh, name, namespaces. Uh, I, I I I thought were like a solved problem. You just use namespaces, but I'm not so so. I'm not sure I interpret your question. If you're asking, is, is no, there I'm already is there already a nice well, well-ordered uh, first-order definition for all these things. Yes, uh, there are several. The trouble is, there's no agreement on them. <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and this is one of the things I'd like to very much like to work on. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm working with with several. I am trying to um, find a way to uh, to get people together to come to an agreement on on. Well, that. You know, what, what again? What what Mike says? What, whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it an interlingua or a common semantic model, or God forbid, anybody should want to call it an upper that's gotten a bad rap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or is Adam when you need him? <laughs> well, that, 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 but, that, but whatever that, it is, like Mike says, you need something that has the expressivity to say the things you want to say. And then uh, if you nevertheless, uh, you know, we all want our uh, applications to have only those things that it needs and no more. You don't need more complexity than that. But somewhere out there, it's good to be able to point to a, uh, an, a semantic model, an ontology of some kind, which which gives the more the greater detail that we all agree upon, so that you know, 50 people can each have all ontologies that, again, they define person any way they want. But if they all mean the same thing, you want to point to some place where that's defined in an exhausting detail, so that you can do logical inferencing on it. Yeah. Now, is is there any a common agreement? I'm not aware of any. Uh, I'm I'm hoping we can get one. I, I'm sort of trying to find methodologies for getting that kind of agreement. Um, and uh, if, if you if, if if you Google the here's here's the um, uh, acronymic initialism O N as in Nancy T A C W G Ontology Taxonomy Coordinating Working Group O N T A C W G Google that you'll get to the home page and we're we're just in the process of organizing a committee. This is one. Uh, one approach. There are other p 
people are doing other approaches elsewhere. Uh, would you consider the XMDR folks to be uh, another likely candidate? Absolutely. I'll be speaking with them on July 12th at their at their meeting in Berkeley, and we're going to try to. Um, I'm hoping that the um, the specifications that the XMDR people will come up with for relating ontologies to each other will be able to do the kinds of things I'm talking about. That you'll have, you'll have an ontology with, say, DL specification. And, and nevertheless, within your um, uh, your registry, you will have some mechanism in the registry for saying, "Hey, this particular ontology uses this first-order specification as as the as the repository of meaning that cannot be expressed within the DL." So that if you need to do more fancy logic than can be done in DL, go to there for the additional definition. I'd like to see that sort of facility within a uh, you know a registry, and, I, and I'll be discussing that, the question of just how feasible it is with the XMDRP. Uh, I'd like to hear how you do with that. I'm in Berkeley, too, so. Oh, okay. Are you going to that meeting? <laughs> uh, I, I, I was about to, to, to think about that. Okay, July 12th, and I'll be there on the 12th and 13th. I think the meeting continues on to the 15th. This is going to, Bill McCarthy, I'm going to hop in here. Um, can I just ask if there are anybody, uh, how many people actually really want to have something to say here? If I get an idea, or should we just let this kind of um, flow? It's tentatively scheduled to be over in 35 minutes, and I don't want to um, have us cut off. Are there other people that want to get on the list to talk? And I can just write them down, and we can sort of decide how much time to allot. Steve Ray, I'd like to ask a couple of questions. Okay, Steve, you're first on the list then. How about somebody else? Oh, good. Then we can just let it flow after Steve. Is that probably true? Okay, I'm sorry I cut you off, Pat. Were you sort of done? I sort of raised the question, uh, trying to maybe have George uh, give us a little bit more detail on, on, on how he maps the ontology. Okay, so I have Steve and then Peter and then somebody else with a yearning to say something or point to some work? I've got a couple follow-up, I guess, um, at some point. Okay, is this Pat again? Maximilian. Oh, Maximilian, okay. All right, well, it looks like uh, we're not actually going to be constrained on time, so we have 35 minutes and three people. So, Steve, you're on if you want to go. Peter, you again. I mean, can also, I mean, uh, maybe this would be a question for Maximilian or, or uh, his associates from the IBM Services Research, uh, maybe they can tell us a bit on what they are doing. That would be very interesting. Okay. Okay. So we have Steve, Peter, Maximilian, then Peter of Maximilian. So we have at least four. You want me to try to answer that question about the what, what IBM is doing? Uh, sure. Why don't you go ahead and do that, and then we'll go to Steve Ray, okay? Yeah, I don't know if any of my colleagues are there so they can jump in at any time. Um, I would say that, I mean, as you know, we do a lot of things related to services-oriented architecture, um, and we've had the initial underpinnings for web services and so on, so I'm not going to dwell on that, and a lot of this work is going on in Watson and also in Al at Almaden. Specifically at Almaden, what we're, look what we're doing is uh, trying to address services science, which is the broader picture, and for instance, for Blaschko, who's on the call, I, I guess, early on, is part of, uh, is kind of an associate of ours in a lot of different universities as well. Uh, and, and what we're trying to do is to look at the fact that uh, the industry has switched from a, um, you know, uh, have switched to a, a services intensive, uh, um, and it's not just the industry, I should say, the, the whole U.S. economy and world economies in general. So we're trying to understand what that entails. 
because a lot of what you do in services, like for instance IBM Global Services, involves really the co-creation of value between the consumer of a service and the provider of a service. Now, this is a very generic term that Jim Spohr, my boss, um, and Paul Magdi, who actually my direct boss, they kind of talk about this a lot, so if you want some references, I can send you that. But what I'm, for instance, particularly interested in, I'm talking really for myself here and my, as far as a researcher, is to look at, well, not only in terms of um, services science, but also how web services can be used to automate parts of these kind of uh, service interplays. And I see semantics and ontologies as being key because if you don't have that, then it's very hard to create agents that could actually do the parts of human beings. So that's kind of uh, my view okay. within the bigger IBM view. Okay. Are you going to I be able to uh, point us to some, uh, some, some of those references, Maximilian, perhaps on Ontolog Forum? Or um, sure. Is there a mailing list? Or, uh, there is indeed. Uh, I'll let Peter take care of that at the end. So. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> well, maybe this I is Dwayne. I'd like to comment on that last speaker uh, from IBM a little bit more, too. And yeah, the, the semantics and ontology work is absolutely essential for any SOA infrastructure to understand the different things. And if you look at something as simple as policy, you know, having that framework in which we can build an ontology of policies that a service consumer can first discover uh, and discover that they are in fact and associated with a specific service, that consume and understand semantics or what is intended by the policy writer of that is essential before that service consumer uh, invokes the service and thus enters into the contract where he's then obligated by those policies. So I, I guess I'm, I'm totally agreeing with what you just said. Right. I think the other thing to mention also is that I think a lot of people in IBM have understood this and part of the reason why you, you haven't seen maybe, and I'm not talking for IBM, I'm really talking for myself here, but my sense is that we're trying to take also the pragmatic approach, which is, you know, there are real customers that are really needing to uh, move their uh, systems to service-oriented architecture without necessarily dynamically integrating with outside parties. They can deal with setting service-level agreements that they know uh, between two parties, and, and therefore, you know, there's less of a need of semantics at that point in time. So in other words, trying to take the more pragmatic approach, trying to get web services up and running, trying to get you know, past that stage and then learning from that and making it more dynamic so that we can reach that trend of vision. So I think there's, you know, and, and that's why, for instance, when I see there's two different, you know, wool language already, and I don't know the details, so I'm not saying that it's not necessary to have two different kinds, but I think it's, you know, the pragmatic in me also says, well, why don't we try to focus on one and fix it? Because the swirl has been going on in, in W3C for a while and it's still not out yet. So. I think, you know, we, we also need to get things out and, and not necessarily focus on, you know, too much to grand vision in trying to achieve that initially. Why don't we achieve smaller steps and then reach that grander vision later? So this is okay. just a comment. But I have a grand vision question. This is Bill McCarthy. The, um, the, this whole idea of, of a community that deals with the idea of service sciences from a, a business and economics perspective, um, the Berkeley proposed school, you said there's work going on um, at Alamaden. Um, is, is, does the name have a community? Of, who would I Google, for I, instance, I, to try to get uh, wired into this community? Oh, this is fantastic, because I can tell you right now that in my group, Paul Maglio and Jim Sporer, who are my 
sec, you know, first line and second line. They are all for it. They, they, they went to Penn State University last week just to discuss with different people. So if you're interested, send me an email. I'll send it to Jim, and I'm sure Jim will, you know, talk to you. And actually, Jim is the one that invited me to participate in this call. Okay, so, good. Um, so Jim, Jim, Jim Sporer will, will get, you know, and, and Paul Maggio will get you guys, whoever's interested, and, and, and get you tuned in. But, and also Google is <coughs> a good start right now that if you Google Jim Spore and his name is spelled S-P-O-H-R-E-R, -R -E -R, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there have actually been a series of what we call institutes and uh, symposiums at Almaden over the last uh, two and a half years, I guess, on some things like the coevolution of work and technology, uh, but one of the more recent ones was um, a little mini conference on services innovation. Okay. So that's a good starting point because you'll connect into um, the agendas for those events, which gets you into a number of the speakers and into their materials that they presented at those events and so on. Okay, and this person speaking was? I, I'm sorry, this is Doug McDavid. I, Okay, thank you. Um, was multiplexing on another call from <laughs> about a half an hour of this, so That's I, I apologize so. for you know, sort of jumping in with an unknown voice. Steve Ray, do you want to come in and... Um sure. Um, actually, George, I had a couple of questions for you on, on the idea of mapping, you know, the business layer onto this more uh, rigorous sort of semantic layer. And uh, a couple of questions. One is, I was I'm still a little unclear whether and what language you might be considering use to capture the semantics uh, that you are going to then be able to use for pattern matching and things like that. Whether you're going to try to capture that in a language or map to a language where some of these other definitions exist, or what. That's the first question. And the second question has specifically to do with the project you mentioned uh, going to IMS, the Intelligent Manufacturing Systems, um, to do some of this work. Is that a project that you are receptive to the idea of expanding the team on that project, potentially even with people from the Ontolog Forum? Well, to answer the second question first, uh, we're, we're uh, absolutely interested in, in expanding the, uh, the team and even the scope. Uh, we'd certainly welcome any participation uh, from you know, anybody in Ontolog. And, and we are communicating with uh, folks in other companies uh, who are interested in this general area. On the first question, uh, as I pointed out, uh, right now there are, there are no process modeling tools out there that have the, the metadata to do the pattern recognition to facilitate the generation of the uh, information model for the one-time SOA uh, repository. Uh, as you and I have discussed, uh, PSL may be a candidate if there is a tool uh, that, that allows us to add the, uh, you know, the metadata or the attributes that help with the pattern recognition. What would some examples of a metadata be? Well, uh, the, the, uh, the FARA analysis includes uh, four classes of interaction. Uh, 
uh, person to person, person to system, system to system. Um, okay, I just wanted an example. Thanks. Yeah, well, th th those are important uh, general classifications, but there are also some process classifications that have to do with the input and output. Uh, is it feed forward? Is it is it feedback? Is it synchronous, asynchronous, persistent, uh, and so forth? So if you take into consideration those classes and those process characteristics, the FARA analysis has has come up with 18 distinct patterns that could be recognized if you have the attributes that help you identify those characteristics. Yeah, are, are those patterns listed, this is Pat, uh, somewhere? I could, I'd, love to, I'd love to take a look at them. Sure. I can make a, um, a, a presentation available. Uh, and okay. It, and there, are, of course, are there are some reports that are being uh, written as we speak. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm right now in a, in a pro working on a project which does involve web services, and, and I, I've been looking around for actual classifications, taxonomies, uh, to handle precisely the kinds of things you're talking about, just, just, just what is involved in a web service. And the ones I've seen so far are very high level in general, and I haven't seen any real detail. And I'd love to get any yeah. kind of detail I can. Obviously, there wasn't time to go into detail here. Who, who was it that asked that question? Patrick Cassidy. Patrick, okay. I'll, I'll certainly make these presentations available. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any, any, any kind of taxonomy or classification, I'd very much like to look at it. And I'm, I'm just P-C-A-S-S-I-D-Y at MITRE.org if you uh, uh, have something you can email. Yeah, okay. M-I-T-R-E.org. Well, Pat, you're on the... Ontolog web page anyway, right? Right, right. but I, I'm trying to make it easy for people rather than sending them. I hate, hate it when people send me off to web page or have to go down cascading five levels before I find one. This isn't just any web page. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> well, this is Steve Ray again. George, that, that, that's great. You answered my question, and actually, uh, by answering it, I was hoping that that would be clear to other people here in the Ontolog forum that, you know, I know we, you and I have been talking about this project and going forward to IMS with it, and if there's a groundswell of interest, I would love to uh, be aware of it as well, because I think that would really uh, strengthen that project. Yes, I, I agree, and I, I hope there is interest. Peter Young here. Uh, I just wanted to mention that George actually has a slightly more elaborate set of slides, 15 slides that is already posted on our meeting page as, as a sort of under additional material right Great. below the combined slides. Although I don't believe your your uh, 18 cate uh, categorization is in there uh, yet, that, though. That, yeah, that is, that is correct. Uh, it'll be an additional set of slides. Uh, this, uh, while, while Steve was talking about this IMS uh, initiative, uh, could could I? I mean, not knowing what the what the whole program is, uh, is that a sort of open uh, arrangement, open technology, or is this some sort of? Uh, I know it's an international collaboration. Could someone throw some light on how open is that? I mean, in terms of uh, both involvement and in terms of the technology that comes out of the project? Well, the I, intelligence I, I, uh, manufacturing system. 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 Okay. Were you going to say something, George, on that? or? 
Well, I, I was going to say something and then pass it off to you. I was going to say okay. that from a project perspective, it's very open. We are really interested in those people that uh, you know, are interested in this, in this area uh, who would like to contribute or participate to step forward. But I think Steve can better explain the, uh, the protection or openness of technology that comes out of these projects. Uh, sure. This is Steve. Um, yeah, I'm actually um, the government observer on the U.S. delegation to IMS now. And um, basically, yeah, it is premised on, in general, openness. I think there are occasional exceptions where participants want to hang on to certain intellectual property, but I think it works best when people come to the table and work on projects that are, you know, pre-competitive in nature. These IMS projects in general uh, are projects that have at least three regions of the world as participants, the U.S. being a region, Canada, Japan, Europe, etc. But um, uh, And there is some interest on the project along these lines. Um, uh, as far as how these projects get off the ground, that varies quite widely from region to region. Uh, Japan and Europe, for example, typically uh, have a routine funding source either through MITI in Japan or the European Union with a fixed framework or, or equivalent things to fund them. The U.S. is a little hindered in the sense that it doesn't have an obvious source to get funding to work on such a project, and that's sort of an additional uh, parallel activity that has to go on for IMS projects but one that you know, we've participated in in the past as well, although we've also had to go out and try and find sources of funding to do so. So it's, um, it's a good idea, you know, and you really certainly get to leverage work going on in other parts of the world under this umbrella, but uh, it's not an automatic funding source in, intrinsic to it, at least in this country. So that's the challenge we would face. But. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like to add a, a couple of other points. Uh, VCOR is being developed and maintained by a nonprofit consortium called the Value Chain Group. There is a website, uh, value-chain.org. And FARA and the EBA, uh, EBSOA uh, proposed standard uh, is in IPR negotiation with OASIS. So that, those two things will become open open standards, hopefully. And uh, so I just thought I'd add that. So VCOR is also going to be open? Is that what you said, George? Well, it, it, I mean, the, the consortium is trying to uh, drive it as a common uh, reference model. Uh, but it, it is uh, owned by the value chain group, but it's accessible to any member. Member being? Um, means uh, paying an annual membership fee to the value chain group. You can go onto the website and uh, see what the requirements are, but they're nominal. And, and FARA, just to complete that picture, is uh, is open already, right? That's under OASIS already? Uh, I it, it will be. I don't know if they've completed the IP transfer or not, but it's in process. I see. Okay, well, Peter, you're the only one that's um, still uh, got a question up. I mean, I'm sure other people might have questions they just want to pipe in with, but you had a question of George. Is, 
right on, on on the mapping. Could could you provide uh, George? Could you provide us a little bit more detail on on your approach towards mapping between, uh, let's say, the the uh, collaboration process and into the architecture. Uh, yeah, there there are actually two mapping uh, processes. One, the com the components of the uh, FERA, the Federated Enterprise Reference Architecture, help identify the capabilities that need to be uh, in the SOA infrastructure. In addition to that, there are guidelines for looking for collaborative process patterns. And, and I tried to give kind of an outline a minute ago where there, there are four classes uh, that you can consider. And uh, then there are these uh, process character, uh, characteristics that have to do with the, the context and the input and output. And then a combination of those results in 18 patterns that have been identified for all kinds of collaborative processes that we've looked at. How, how do you represent those patterns now? English language in 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 uh, description logic and first order logic. Or? Well, the the EBSOA is a uh, set of uh, protocols, XML protocols that are defined in terms of a information model, and so the how, how is the, the the model expressed in in UML XSD? Well, uh, right now we, add, we we do a manual analysis of a, a workflow-like process flow, taking into account the characteristics of the inputs and outputs, persistence, uh, asynchrony, and so forth. But if we are able to add the metadata that I spoke about into a process re uh, model representation, you could do pattern searching within the process model. Uh, now. The analysis results in the generation of the uh, CPID, which is the Collaborative Process Information Document, that flows into the SOA repository, the runtime repository, for control of you know the semantic uh, integration at runtime. But the uh, ho hopefully you can do a pattern analysis on a, a process representation. I'm Peter. This is Dwayne Nickel here. I just want to make an announcement. I have to uh, leave right now because I've got to run to the airport and catch my flight. So I just want to sign off and thank everyone for uh, participating and listening. Thanks for coming, Dwayne. Okay. Thanks, Dwayne. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks, Bill, for uh, hosting it, too. No, Peter uh, hosted. I just... Well... Run it. <laughs> whatever. Run it. <laughs> okay. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Have a good flight. I'll, I'll make the more detailed slides available, and then if there are questions, I'll be happy to, um, you know, to meet with you or exchange email. Fantastic. Um, Andrews, tell a comment. Okay, go ahead, Andrews. Um, actually, question for you, Bill, in the light of the last uh, words about uh, pattern matching and services. Uh, how do you see uh, pattern matching uh, uh, based on processes versus uh, pattern matching based on commitments and contracts, which I know you are rather keen on uh, working with. Is it possible to only successfully do a pattern match on, on the behavior behind the service uh, without uh, considering contractual and obligations and other deontic operators? 
that is an interesting question that I've been sort of thinking about. Um, I, I don't have a good answer to that, Anders. This is Bill McCarthy. Um, and I must admit, as we've gone through, um, I've just my list of questions has gotten longer instead of shorter, or things that I need to look at has gotten longer. Um, I, I I think of pattern matching as much more of a what I would call a declarative activity, where you where you take a look at the the actual things that are there and you try to match them to some kind of composite pattern that uh, de declaratively um, and, and sort of see that uh, a sale, for instance, of a certain kind of services is like um, a sale of, of a good or something in some, some way, shape, or form in the sense that you're both providing some kind of economic benefit and that there has to be some compensating um, benefit flowing the other way and that the parties contract and make commitments on both sides. Um, the, the idea of, of, of patterns based on activity or processes uh, what I would call more procedural pattern matching is something that I'm still not clear in my mind right now. So I, I guess I'll have to, uh, to, to beg off on the question and say that I'm, it's something that I'm very, very interested in, in taking a continuing look at. The IBM people, for instance, the Alamadden work on services and um, trying to come up with some kind of taxonomies there is, is something is work that I was generally not avail generally not aware of, and I, I really need to do some work there to, to so, sort of see how those things work. Can I, I make a comment on this? Not necessarily on, on what you said, um, but um, I guess another perspective, which would be to look at not necessarily exchanges of goods, but really interaction between the consumer and the, and, and the consumer of the service and the provider of the service, mm -hmm. because in some ways. One other way, and I'm, and I mean, I have no proof of this, right? I'm, I'm just, uh, it's an intuition. Maximilian? Yep. Okay. Actually, I have a paper on it, too. <laughs> so Good. Self-promotion here. Um, that if you think of services as being uh, the co-creation of value between consumers or providers, and what really matters in some ways is the interaction between the parties. And it's more than just interaction between consumers and providers. It's also co interaction between the consumers. And an example of this, to make it more concrete, is, for instance, um, look at eBay or Amazon, where the consumers interact with each other by, you know, rating providers and essentially creating reputation mechanism. Of course, Amazon sets up the system to allow this, but the interaction between the consumers exchanging their opinions on providers actually creates value uh, mm -hmm. to the whole community. And similar things could also happen where I, I think somebody mentioned that you would dynamically create a service to address, um, for instance, uh, a consumer need. Well, that means that very likely providers could be collaborating to create dynamically that service. That would be one way. So I think, I think it's important to look at the interaction patterns as maybe a way to, and, and classifying those. So the paper I'm talking about is a paper in SCC which calls Toyed Interact Web Services Interaction Style with okay. uh, an indoor thing at uh, North Carolina State University. Yeah. Can we have a uh, reference or uh, can you put it up in the Ontolog forum and with a with a yeah, web? Okay, good. Yeah, also, I'd like to add, if you don't mind, it, uh, it, when you look at EDSOA, it, it includes use of existing uh, standards, uh, like with an EBXML, there's CPP and CPA, which really do have to do with helping to define, you know, the, the collaborative agreement. 
But also I want to point out that one of the reasons that we're so interested in using um, reference models to define the semantics is not just the common vocabulary of the process and inputs and outputs, but also the metrics. And the metrics could be uh, very useful in analyzing you know, some of the process patterns. Okay. Uh, Andrew's comment. Andrew's comment. Uh, I think the last comment was really very interesting uh, when you introduced uh, metrics. Uh, I just come from a, a conference called Proactive Law where I made a presentation about standardization. But that conference was full of lawyers and they were very interesting in uh, contract and commercial uh, relationships. And, and one of the key features were uh, risk, uh, uh, risk handling, risk management, and, and also uh, performance measurements. And this, in uh, sometimes, I got the sense that this is one of the features which has been overlooked in terms of uh, SOA discussions. That uh, behind all of this, there is a trace of, of commercial relationships, and and uh, in, uh, individual interaction may actually leave something for the parties to remember to, to next time, and that could actually be a contract or, or part of things they have to do and, and things they actually believe, uh, sort of a belief design intention type of, of uh, uh, remnants after discussions. Who, who was that again? Uh, Andrews Tell. Oh, Andrews. So we just uh, wanted to in introduce this particular view viewpoint, the commercial and contract management, as, as uh, in my personal opinion, uh, uh, a very interesting uh, part of, of service-oriented architectures in, in, in general. You say we undervalue, this is Bill McCarthy, we, we, uh, we have underdeveloped the concept of using risk in, the value in, in, in providing services? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, yes, I think uh, based on the discussion what I've heard today, I uh, heard one, time talk, one person talking about the measurements and, and uh, very few talking about uh, commercial and contract, uh, commercial relationships and, and services, uh, difference between uh, uh, consumer, business to consumer, uh, or between difference between business to, to business, etc., and the regulatory aspects, and, and the whole bunch of very interesting issues in terms of services in, in general, which I personally feel is some, somewhat underdeveloped okay. in some areas. I have a question of Mike Gruninger, if nobody's going to pop in for a couple of minutes here. Mike, are you still on? Yep. Okay. Um, at one point in your presentation, you started talking about semantic web services framework, which you're very familiar with, and then you mentioned the web services modeling ontology. That's right. Uh, can, can you tell us the relationship between those two and if we're diving in with, and, and not tremendously familiar with either one of those? Um, are they overlapping? Are they eventually going to be aligned? Can you tell us what's going on there? Um, yeah, so they're, they're kind of uh, cousins, in a way, uh, in terms of, of the people that are involved. Uh, uh, Dieter Fenzel was initially involved with, with uh, Swizzle and then uh, went off and started working on Wismo. Um, there was a meeting in Innsbruck uh, earlier in June that uh, the purpose of the meeting was to try to build some bridges between Swizzle and Wismo. Okay. Um, uh, Wismo places a little bit more emphasis on some of the distinctions in between, uh, uh, more emphasis, say, on choreography. Um, Wismo has a semantics based on, on what's known as abstract state machines. Uh, and they uh, haven't really um, kind of uh, 
uh, built a very uh, richly acclimatized ontology for uh, for the web services that that kind of conform to that semantics. So kind of there right now there there the semantics kind of sits out, uh, kind of alongside the the terms in the ontology. Um, but there definitely are um, some active efforts to kind of uh, build some bridges here quickly, uh, rather than let these two efforts diverge too much. Okay. Thank you. Peter Young here. Bill, I mean, you you started this session off by by citing work from Berkeley, and I right. believe the IBM people actually started the the service science. Uh, workshop. I mean, with a, a, a sim similar citation. Uh, since we've got Bob Glushko here, uh, Bob, could you could, could you tell us uh, oh, the, the kind of what work is going on uh, in that area at Berkeley? I think Bob had to go to a meeting. He actually, when he when I told him about it, he said he might have to scooch off. So oh, I'm, I'm not sure if Bob is still on. But I do agree that the uh, it's clear that the IBM people were the ones that uh, that sort of got Berkeley into the business, or maybe that's I've got the cart before the horse, but it's close to being one or the other. So, all right, do we have any other questions of the panel members, or of just uh, SOA in general, or services sciences in general? Well, well, I have one question, uh, real, really very basic question. When when you talk about asynchronous respect to web services, what specifically are you referring to? I think it was George mentioned that, I'm not sure. Okay, and the questioner was Pat, is that correct? Yeah, Pat, yes, right. Yes, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in this context, what, what does asynchronous mean? I mean, I, I just say, uh, I'm, I'm thinking every time a service goes in and another service comes out, there's always some delay between them. To me, that's inherently asynchronous. So this obviously, there's it's being used in a different sense. Well, if, if you look at it from a business semantic standpoint, there are, you know, there are process patterns where you may invoke uh, multiple services uh, and they're running asynchronously. Uh, as an example, in a product design, you may uh, launch uh, ser services to uh, gain information about which alternative you know, is best. Oh, so, okay, so if, if processes are running concurrently and don't depend upon each other, you consider that asynchronous? Well, they may depend upon each other. They may run asynchronously, but there may be feedback. So, there, you know, there can be a dependency, but they're running... So one can stop waiting for re information from another? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, okay, and it's still asynchronous. Okay. Uh, I had a question about the services sciences department or whatever uh, the entity is. Do we have any references for that? There was a uh, there was a paper that was linked on the abstract for the session, um, and I forgot the name of the author right now. I'm probably a little bit hesitant to, but he was a person who was associated with that effort at Berkeley, yes. Henry Chesborough. Yes, Henry Chesborough. Um, and I suspect that the, uh, the Almaden people uh, probably know more about this, but it seems to be a, uh, an area of burgeoning interest in, in an academic sense to the to the point where um, at least Berkeley is considering a separate school for it. Yeah, let me add a couple things to this, Bill. Um, this is a Maximilian. I think, Jim, uh, when I mentioned Bob Blaschko was part of, you know, close associates, and, and I think over the past few years, Jim and Paul have been kind of you know, creating a lot of um, interest from different academic 
circles, and Bernie Birkeley is, is, is a big part of it. And, and Henry Hank Trezbo, um, you know, has been kind of the, the, the initial set of people that, that Jim has talked to. And I'll, I mean, you can ask Jim if you want more detail, but I'll tell you a few references for, for Hank Chesbo that you could, you could read very quickly. And they're okay. on the Almaden website. But there is a um, short, I think, one-and-a-half-page thing in, in Harvard, Harvard Business Review of this year in January where Harvard Business Review looks at what are the potential big ideas for this year. And Hank Chesbo Services Science was one of them, and Hank Chesbo would that be. There's also another piece um, on uh, uh, the Financial Times that is a little bit more detailed. Okay. Services science also. If you do searches on Google, you should find those. If you can't, send me email. But I'm going to also try to create a user account on that uh, wiki and add a few of those references. Okay, thank you. That would be very helpful. Do you know the extent to which we have hardcore economists in on it? I suspect it's probably quite extensive. Um, I'm not sure <laughs> if I can answer. I don't know the details, though. Okay, okay. Thank you. Well, for, for, for one, uh, we had Brian Arthur, who okay. um, been All a right. keynote speaker at one of the conferences that we hosted at Almaden. He's an economist from Santa Fe Institute. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for... Peter, do you want to, uh, is there anything else on the agenda that we have to take care of? We only have a few minutes here. Right. Do you want to wrap up or you want me to do something? I think we've wrapped up fairly well. I think we've taken care of most of the uh, the streams. I want to thank again the speakers. I know Dwayne's gone, but um, he really gave us uh, some quite different viewpoints on um, services and services sciences and service-oriented architectures from a wide variety of perspectives that probably couldn't have been um, one, one always gets the uh, viewpoint of whoever site you go to or whatever firm you're taking a look at, so it was nice to see um, uh, different views all uh, expressed at once. So, Peter, um, I, I suspect that uh, there's a lot of people on the, on the, uh, on the, on the call or uh, we're going to listen to the recorded call who are not familiar with the, uh, the way uh, uh, the, the forum runs, and maybe you could just wrap up by reviewing some of that. Sure, great. I mean, thank you, Bill. Uh, first of all, I mean, thank you for uh, proposing such a, an interesting topic. Uh, this is by far our best attended uh, discussion uh, since we've begun a scheduled discussion session, uh, which we hopefully run like every month or every other month. Uh, uh, Ontolog Forum, for those who are new here, is in is an open international virtual community of practice uh, whose membership is trying to discuss practical and strategic issues associated with the development and application of both formal and informal ontologies. Uh, we started out uh, as sort of a discussion within the uh, universal business language TC effort, but soon found ourselves uh, not going along the same timeline, and we sort of spun off to become an independent uh, virtual community. Uh, we strive to advance the field of ontological engineering and semantic technology adoption, and we hope um, my, maybe through uh, going it's through people who are in the standards arena, like Bill, Monica, uh, and a lot of our membership, and also through uh, at 
guess everyone who's here probably has something to do with what we're interested in and, and could definitely contribute. Uh, so you're all welcome to join us if you haven't already. Uh, our, our wiki site is at ontolog, which spells O-N-T-O-L-O-G, ontology without the Y. It's a dialogue on ontologies. ontolog.cim3.net slash wiki, W-I-K-I. And on that homepage, if you scroll down a little bit, there's a section on membership and there are details about uh, how, how one could subscribe to the mailing list and, and be a part of us. So back to you, uh, Bill. Okay. Uh, unless there are further questions or clarifications or hopes for further dialogue on the topic, I hope maybe we can talk at least some of the folks into giving us longer presentations. Um, maybe the IBM uh, team might be willing to be a guest speaker, maybe as a one person or two people in some of the upcoming months. But unless there are any clarifications or anything, I think we're we're finished for the day and within budget. Great. So again, this is uh, June 30th, 2005. It's an ontolog te technical discussion session on the topic interoperability concerns in the growth of service sciences, uh, ontological implications of service-oriented architecture. Uh, Professor Bill McCarthy moderating. Thanks, everyone. Okay, thank you, guys. That, uh, the recording will be available in a few hours uh, from our webpage. Um, Peter, are we still going to meet afterwards?